If I were to take a survey of uh, everyone in the auditorium this morning, asking one, one simple question, just one question, which weekday morning do you prefer? Monday morning or Friday morning? Monday morning or Friday morning? I think I know what the results would look like. I think I know. If it wasn't unanimous for Friday, I think at least most of our responses would be for Friday morning. Well, why is that? Monday is the beginning of the work week uh, for many of us. I know some have different work schedules, but most of us start work on Monday. Five more days until the weekend. And Friday morning, well, a few more hours of work, and, and it's the weekend, and we're free, and we're good to go. And just thinking about that contrast between waking up on a Monday morning and waking up on a Friday morning can bring all kinds of emotions in, our, in us, right? Um, our dislike towards Monday morning can be because of the dread that some of us feel going to work, or, or maybe it's a frustration we feel at work, or boredom, or even loneliness, isolation. But there's also positive emotions that we feel towards our work as well. We have a, a sense of accomplishment, we have friendships, we feel a sense of purpose uh, in our jobs. And so if we're honest, I think our feelings towards work are a bit of a mix of all of those, some positive, some negative, and we have such strong feelings towards our, our job and our work because it takes up such a big part of our lives. It's the first question that many people ask when, when they meet each other, oh, what do you do? I'm a teacher, or I'm a student, or I, I drive a bus, or, or, or whatever it is. It also takes up most of the time in our day. Many of us will spend eight to 10 hours a day at work, five, maybe six days a week. Uh, it's been said that people, the average person spends one-third of their life uh, at the workplace, and that's not even including the time it takes to get to work. Uh, in Canadian cities, the average is 29 minutes, one way uh, that we commute to work, so that's an hour every day we spend going to and from our workplace. And so over the course of our li lifetime, uh, you and I will spend more time at work, uh, commuting to work, or thinking about work than almost anything else in our lives. Many of us will, will spend more time at work than with our families, uh, with our friends, uh, doing leisure activities, or uh, even church activities. Work uh, really dominates our lives. And so this morning, we are embarking on an all-church study for the next six weeks where we're going to be looking at this topic of work, and the series is called Work as Worship. And here's what we already know going in. We know going into this that living for God, living as a Christian, uh, means that we are shaped by the gospel, the message of salvation and restoration in Jesus Christ. But here's what we're going to learn over the next six weeks. Over the next few weeks, we're going to build on that, and we're going to learn a little bit more that the gospel is not just something for our personal, private time with God, and something that we look forward to at the end of our life, our, our destiny, um, but it's also all-encompassing and all-covering, and it changes and it shapes and it redeems all aspects of our lives, even now, even today. To be a Christian is to be gospel-shaped, gospel-centered people in all areas of our lives. And this relates especially to our work, which takes up so much of our time and so much of our energy. And so this morning, as we begin this first message, I've entitled it, Your Work Matters to God. Your Work Matters to God. And we're going to look at three things we can know about work. Three things we know about work. That work is good, work is broken, and work can be redeemed. Work is good, work is broken, and work can be redeemed. So we're going to get started at the start 
of all things, the beginning of the Bible, if you open your Bibles with me to Genesis, the first three chapters, we're going we're gonna to survey these three, cha- three chapters and see uh, what the Bible says uh, about work. And we're going to learn that our work matters to God. And so let's begin with, with this first thing we know, that work is good. Christian understanding of work comes from a really important place in the Bible. It starts at creation. It starts with God, who is working in creation. We're here in Genesis chapter 1, and if we would, were to read through it, we would see that God has been creating, he's been working uh, out of nothing. He's created the heavens and the earth. He's created light and darkness. He's created water and land. He's created fish and animals. We see right away that God works. He is active. He took initiative to create the world, and he worked in creation over six days. The the fact that God is a worker is already indicating to us a little bit that all legitimate work has dignity. All legitimate work has value because God himself is a worker. But then we arrive at chapter 1, verse 26, 26 to 28, and we learn something extremely important about man and about woman, about us. We learn that we're created in God's image. So let me read 26 to 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the teaching here is that God created us in his own image. God is on the sixth day of creation. He's reaching the end of his creation work and it's going to be very good. It says in verse 31, and this very good part of creation is man and woman. The creation of man and woman in his image. And this Truth is so important for us uh, for so many different uh, reasons. We, we learn that every person has value. It doesn't matter who you are. You are made in the image of God, and you have value. It means that we're to reflect God's character of holiness and righteousness and justice, and we're to have loving relationships. But it also means something else, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning. It means that we are made in the image of God in the way that we are to be a worker. We are to work uh, as God works. Part of being made in God's image is to uh, rule over creation. So what does that mean? It means that we are to act out the purposes of God in creation. Just as God worked to create all things, uh, we are to work as God's image bearers to build uh, productive, God-glorifying families and civilization. Just as God is the ultimate ruler over creation, We, in a sense, are many rulers under him if we are living his way for his glory and working for him. That's what it means in verse 28 when it says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. We are to build productive, God-glorifying families and civilizations. Well, an illustration that helped me understand what it means that we're made in God's image uh, in this way is is just the resemblance between uh, children and their parents. We see sons sometimes look like their fathers, sometimes more than than others. Daughters look like their mothers. There's a resemblance uh, physically. So in a sense, they're reflecting or they're imaging their parents. And children oftentimes develop the same 
uh, mannerisms or interests of their parents as well. But another thing, another interesting thing that doesn't happen maybe so much anymore, but in times past, young men would take up their profession, the profession of their father. They would be trained under their father, they would learn from their, from their dad, and, uh, and they would eventually take over the business and work when their father had to retire. And so the task of the father, what the father did uh, for work, would get passed on to the son, and the son would do that oftentimes as well. And so this parent-child, father-son relationship, in a way, images this uh, man made in the image of God relationship. It's different in the sense that we don't look like God uh, physically. God is a spirit, and God will not eventually leave his work uh, and leave us in charge. But it's the same in the sense that we are meant to image God in our, in our virtues, in our holiness and righteousness, and God brings us into his task, to his job, uh, to his work of, of ruling the earth and subduing and bringing all things uh, under his dominion. So God created man and woman with a job. He created us with a job. And so work is good. Another thing we learn about work that shows us that it's good is that it was God's idea before the fall, before sin. And we're going to talk about the fall a little bit more in a moment. Um, but God instituted, he gave this commandment to Adam before there was sin. We see that in Genesis 2, uh, 15. I'll just read it. Uh, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the, the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So Genesis 2, God places Adam in the garden to work it and to care for it. Everything that Adam and Eve were to do was to, for this purpose of building God-glorifying uh, civilization. And isn't it amazing that God not only created us, but he created us in his image to reflect his glory, and he gave us a task to do, to rule creation under him and to bring everything, uh, lives, families, jobs, under his authority and work for his glory. How does it apply to us today? Well, obviously, we're not living in a paradise garden that we're meant to uh, cultivate like Adam and Eve were. Uh, but just as Adam was to work for God uh, in his unique position of personal responsibility, and that was gardening and tending to the Garden of Eden, uh, we as well have a unique position of responsibility at work and at home. And we are to work to bring all these things under the authority of Christ. Thus, work is good and it's not uh, evil. In, in last week's sermon, Jesus talked about uh, the kingship of Jesus, right? And he had a nice slide with the throne uh, of, uh, of Jesus. And, and uh, he talked about how Jesus is to be the king in all areas of our lives. We're not only to worship Jesus on Sunday, but throughout the whole week at home and at work. And we're learning a little bit of the same thing here. We're learning that it's our responsibility as people created in God's image, uh, living in God's creation, to work for God's glory. It's our responsibility as people made in God's image to work for God's glory. And so God, being a worker, made man in his image, and man is to be a worker as well. Work is good, and it matters to God. But as we continue the story, and many of us know what's coming next, we see that something's going to happen, an event is about to happen, that changes the course of human history. God had commanded Adam, I just read this in Genesis 2, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And if Adam did so, there would be consequences. He would die. And uh, he commanded them not to eat of this particular tree uh, so that we would see what was in Adam and Eve's heart. Would they trust God and follow after him? Or would they attempt to go their own way and try to do things apart from God? Well, when we get to chapter 3, not that much further, we see that Eve is tempted by the serpent to disobey God. And Adam follows along Eve and they eat the fruit and immediately Adam and Eve feel shame because they've sinned against God. And God comes into the garden to be with them, but they hide from him. There's consequences from their sin, for their sin. The peace and the joy of, of the Garden of Eden was disrupted. And we see that in every area of their lives, there was now consequences for their sin. Man and God now had a severed relationship. They were hiding from him. There was a disruption in the relationship between Adam and Eve, between people. They were now blaming one another, and, and we still see that today. And another consequence, and this is what we're going to focus on, is that there was a disruption between the relationship between man and creation. And so although work is good, and work is still good, it's been marred by sin. It's been broken in a sense. And so we'll read from Genesis 3, uh, verses 17 and 18. So this is after Adam and Eve have sinned, and uh, God comes to them now, and he says, starting verse 17, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. I'll stop there. So one of the consequences of sin is that there was now a curse placed on the earth, a punishment for, for man's disobedience. God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it. Work was now going to be painful. It was going to be hard. A man would have to sweat for a living. And today our working conditions... Uh, vary between us. Some of us sweat more than others, but the normal is this painful toil, this frustration that we feel at work. In verse 18, God said, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. He was saying that nature would not be as productive as it originally was. Working the ground would be hard. It would be uncooperative. Uh, there's going to be annoyances and discomfort, um, but it would still need to be done if we are to eat and to survive. Uh, for those of you who work in agriculture or farming, you will know this uh, firsthand. Uh, and all of us experience this a little bit when we're trying to keep our gardens or our lawns nice at home. There's thorns and thistles and weeds and annoyances that arise in the physical world. Um, a good friend of mine whose family owns a, a great farm reminded me this week that uh, I worked for him a little bit over the summers. And I worked in the vines. His dad hired me to do a bit of work. I haven't worked there since. I don't know if they would take me back. <laughs> but I remember that it was hard work. I was bending down, tying. I was weeding all day, and it seemed to never end. And I was working under the sun, and it was really hard work, and I was oftentimes frustrated. And many of you know this firsthand from jobs that you work uh, every day. We also know that these thorns and thistles don't only exist uh, in, in agriculture, but also in every area of work. In the social world, at work we see relationships are strained uh, and difficult. Uh, business plans don't go as they were supposed to go. Uh, unexpected problems arise, team conflict, um, malfunction in the technology, uh, stress. Many people find their jobs very hard and, and very stressful. 
there's one interesting statistic that says that there's more heart attacks that happen Monday morning between 8 and 9 a.m. than any other time during the week. It just indicates that there's a lot of stress that people are under at work. But then there's the other extreme as well. There's the other extreme of, of people who feel that their work is dull or, or boring or, or feels meaningless and that they only really begin, we only really begin to live on the weekend. Um, the work is staying the same always and not changing. It doesn't matter how long we continue in the work. And no matter where we fall on that spectrum of, of stress or, 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 or meaninglessness, we can all identify a little bit that our work does not satisfy us. Our work does not satisfy us. And the Bible acknowledges this. It says that the normal experience for us now in our work because of sin is a feeling of, of uselessness. Um, in Ecclesiastes, later on in the Bible, uh, the writer, the wise writer who's writing from the perspective of, of what it would be like to live a life without God, to live a life outside uh, of God's sovereign will and presence, and he talks about how, in chapter 2, how he had great success. He was building houses, he had uh, vineyards, he had parks, he had silver, he had gold. He was better than anyone in his generation. But then, he concludes chapter 2, and you'll see the verse on the side screen. He concludes this section by saying, Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He's acknowledging this reality that work alone cannot satisfy us. Nothing was gained under the sun. This is the reality of, of work apart from God. This is as far as it can take us. Well, back in Genesis 3, I, I didn't read one verse. I didn't read Genesis 3.19, and, and I'll read it now. God finishes by saying, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Another sad reality because of sin is death. From dust we are, and from dust we will return. Our bodies will decay once we die. So not only is nature cursed and work hard, um, but we ourselves will die one day because of sin. But we know that, that this is not all that, all, all that the Bible has to say. This is not all that the Bible has to say about these things, right? God doesn't just leave us here, struggling, uh, working hard with this feeling of meaningless and then just dying at the end of the day. No, as we continue to read the Bible, we see that God has more to say about sin and death and about this curse and even about work. There's good news on all of these fronts. Although our sin has brought about a curse on creation and has disrupted our relationship between God, between one another, and uh, between us and creation, God is so gracious that he's not left us like this forever. The rest of the Bible tells a story of a coming one who would come to ultimately destroy evil and reverse the curse of sin and death. And this one eventually came, right? That's Jesus Christ. Many years later, God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we failed to live. He was the perfect image of God. He perfectly worked for God. He never sinned once. But then, Jesus allowed himself to be taken and to be killed by evil men on a cross. But this was actually God's plan. 
You see, to save us from the curse of sin, Jesus took the curse upon himself. In Galatians 3, it said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus absorbed the punishment for our sins on the cross after he had lived a perfect life of work for God. And he died on the cross. But then, three days later, he rose again, right? And he lives still today. He is in heaven with the Father, awaiting the day where he will return. And he will ultimately restore all of creation to its original glory. He will restore all things, even our work. Uh, Listen to this verse in Revelation 22, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth. It says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. That's us. We are servants who will serve him forever. We will be working for him with joy, uh, with no failing and annoying annoyances and, and sin. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good hope that we have in Jesus? And so let me ask you this. Is this your hope? Is this what you're waiting for? Are you waiting for this day when Jesus will return and you will be able to work for him forever? Are you trusting in Jesus now? Is he the king of your life now? Jesus wants you to trust in him and to accept his blessings of forgiveness and acceptance into his kingdom. So I, I, I ask you, would you do so today if you haven't already done that? Explain to him, talk to God and say, I'm sorry that I, I haven't lived your way, but I'd like you to come into my life and to change that, to change me for you. And he will do that. And for those of us who are trusting in Christ, uh, who, who Jesus is the king of our lives, and we are waiting for this day when Jesus will come back, whenever we see the thorns and thistles of, of life now, whether it's literal thorns or whether it's annoyances and problems at work, uh, we should be reminded of the curse of sin, that this is what sin has brought upon us. Uh, but we should also move past that, and we should be reminded of the one who came to reverse the curse of sin. Every detail in the Bible is, is so significant, right? And, and do you remember what they, they placed on Jesus' head as a mockery when he was going to the cross? It says in John 19 that the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Jesus took a crown of thorns upon his head. That's so symbolic. The thorns of our sin, the curse of our sin, he took upon himself on the cross. The Roman soldiers were trying to humiliate him with this crown, but they had no idea what they were symbolically representing. They were actually representing what Jesus was doing on the cross for us. He is the king who took the curse of our sin upon himself on the cross so that we could be saved, we could be freed from it, and we could be freed to live for him forever. And so when we experience these thorns and and thistles, we should worship Jesus and remember what he has done for us. And so work is good. Work is broken. And there is ultimate redemption in Christ because of our sin. But is there any good news for us? Is there any hope for us today, for our work today? There is. And this is what leads us to our our third point. Work is good. Work is broken. But work can be redeemed. Work can be redeemed. There's a great verse in Ephesians 2. It's at the end of a section where Paul is talking about God's grace for us in Christ and uh, his salvation from our sins if we put our faith in him. And he finishes this section, Ephesians 2.10, by saying, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the way that we should think about our work now is with God at the center. 
God doesn't take away the effects of the curse and the painful part of work that we will still experience, but he does replace this meaningless center of it. This handiwork in verse 10 could also be translated masterpiece or, or work, work of art. If we are in Christ, if we have put our faith in him, we are a new creation and we are God's masterpiece that he is working good works through us. As his masterpiece, he has an eternally uh, designed work assignment that he has for us. He has given us a place to serve, an ability to do it, and a task to do. And whatever task he has called us to, he will equip us just as he equips birds with wings to fly. He will equip us for our task to serve him. And in doing these works that he has called us to do, we will be more and more his handiwork, his masterpiece, and we will be more and more our true selves. And the implications of this are really amazing for us. It means that all work that we do matters. Uh, There's no more important or less important work that God has given to us. In his perfect plan, he has placed us exactly where he has placed us for his glory. All honest work that we do for the Lord is holy work, is sacred work. It doesn't have to be work in a church. Uh, All work done for him is sacred. Uh, Martin Luther, the man who transformed the religious world of his day, also transformed the working world of his day by bringing these things to the people, by talking to them about how their work matters to God. Uh, He has a quote here that says, Your work is a very sacred matter. God delights in it. And through it, he wants to bestow his blessings on you. This praise of work should be inscribed on all tools, on the foreheads and the faces that sweat from toiling. What he's saying is that there's no first-class or second-class Christians based on their jobs. All work is sacred work to God, whether it's selling insurance or, or checking groceries or cleaning teeth or driving a bus or teaching school or painting or whatever else it is. We might feel at times that we're doing a nothing job that that doesn't really matter, and because of the curse of sin, it sometimes will be painful and have little satisfaction, but we can glorify God in our job with our heart attitude, by doing it for God, and by doing it well. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are God's masterpiece that he created to do good works, and that he has planned for you in advance. And the more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we will experience his love for us who deserve nothing uh, and his grace for us that allows us to serve him even though we oftentimes fail and the more we're going to devote ourselves to him and commit everything we have to him there's a famous uh, little book that many of you may have already read or heard of called uh, the practice of the presence of god and it's a collection of letters uh, written by a man named nicholas herman or brother lawrence And he worked in the kitchens of a monastery in Paris. And he had a very mundane job. He was uneducated. He was a a former soldier who was now cooking and cleaning all day. And and he even said about himself that he was an awkward man who broke everything. And we only have his letters today because someone saved them for us. And thank God that we do because they're a little gem of spirituality and personal relationship with God uh, that he experienced through his work. And so we might not agree with every little thing he says in the book, but in it we find the story of a man who is filled with God's love for him, that he would do all of his work out of thankfulness for God and always praising him. Even the mundane work that he would do every day of cooking uh, and cleaning, he did it for God's glory, and he felt God's presence near to him as he did it. 
there's one quote from the book that I'll read. Uh, he says, We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Wouldn't this be our hearts as Christians, as children of God, that we would be so filled with God's love for us that we would do all things, little things, big things, our work, our time at home for God out of love for him because of how much that he's loved us. And so there it is. Work is good. God created us to do it. It's broken. It's been marred by sin. There is ultimate redemption in Christ who has taken the penalty for our sin. And if we trust in him, we can be with him forever and work for him forever. But even today, our work can be redeemed uh, if we do it all for God, by his strength, and for his glory. All in all, our work matters to God. Your work matters to God. Let me pray about that. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just thanking you for your word, for your teachings all over the Bible that, that lead us towards Christ, that show us we've sinned and we fall short of your glory, but you have made a way for us to be saved and, and to fulfill our original plan of, of ruling and, and subduing the earth for you. And so God, we just come to you acknowledging we're all, we're all in different life situations at work or in school or at home. And uh, we, we just bring this to you and, and ask that you help us, Lord, to, to work for your glory, uh, to work well, and, uh, and to see um, that you care for us, that we matter to you, and everything that, that we do matters to you. So be with us this week, Lord, and, and may Christ be glorified uh, in us. I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. And so, as we mentioned, this, we start this week our all-church study. It's six weeks of studying this idea of work. Uh, the groups are going to be meeting throughout the week. Uh, if you're not in a group yet, I think there's going to be a table in the atrium where you can sign up, and it, we would love to have you join a group. Our work matters to God in every area of our lives. Uh, we can be shaped by the gospel. We can draw strength from the gospel of Jesus, and we have opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus as well. Harbor, we are sent.